0: Good morning, church. Good to see y'all this morning. What a wonderful time of worship, and what a beautiful hymn. Thank you for that. I have never heard that song before, and what a beautiful message. Well, I'm glad you're here. Did you bring your Bible with you? Open it to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be looking at those first verses of this beautiful book uh, in chapter 12. Uh, The book of Hebrews, while you're turning to that, was written to a church that was under persecution. And uh, some of the Christians had decided, you know, it's getting tough, and they were sliding back into Judaism. And uh, the writer of Hebrew comes back and says, listen, Christ is better. Jesus is sufficient. He's all you need. He is better than any of that. And he reminds them of that. Uh, We have the chapter 11, the chapter of just all the great heroes of the faith. And today we're going to be talking about uh, just having success on the journey and just completing the race well. The Christian life is uh, uh, in Scripture is portrayed many different ways sometimes it 's portrayed as a seed or the kingdom of God, and sometimes it 's uh, the body of Christ, and it talks about all the different components of that in this passage it 's going to talk about the Christian life as if it were a race, and you 're running a race and so uh, there 's some things to be learned about it 's a beautiful passage. I hope it speaks to you. It spoke to me this week. I needed this message this week. I needed to be reminded of some priorities in my life and And so I hope it'll speak to you also. Let me just read, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm just going to read the first three verses of this beautiful, beautiful chapter. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. Will you join with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and we pray for just the blessing of the reading of your word. We pray that we would be faithful to this text. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Give us open hearts and open minds to lean in to whatever it is you have to teach us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love learning from history and Reading history, reading biographies. And uh, Alexander the Great uh, was one of, I, I've always enjoyed reading stories about Alexander the Great. Some of his quotes, he has a lot of wonderful quotes. But uh, Alexander the Great was a Greek uh, king, the king of Macedonia, and uh, was a young man and built a vast empire, went all through Persia, all through the known world, and and was just an amazing military leader. Uh, He only only reigned for 13 years. He died when he was 33. And yet he is known as Alexander the Great because of all that he had accomplished. Uh, Alexander was moving his army through Persia at one point, And it became very evident that uh, they might begin to lose the battles. In fact, the soldiers were not able to fight like they had done before. And there was some great concern among the ranks that they were starting to experience defeat. And so when they started looking at what was happening, they realized, Alexander realized what had happened was they had been so successful in all of their endeavors that the soldiers were carrying all of this riches and heavy weight of all the things they had pilfered from all the victories they had had. They literally were weighed down by all of their success. Well, when he realized that, he gave an order that all of that plunder, all of those things be put in a pile, and he burned it all. Well, all of the soldiers were complaining until they saw the wisdom of his order. And it was at that time somebody wrote and it said, this is what they said about that event, it was as if wings had been given to them, they were walking lightly again, victory is secured. Changed everything. You know, success can be your greatest enemy sometimes, you can get bogged down with that. You know, all of us want to have success. All of us want to have victory. All of us want to finish the race well. And here in the, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is going to encourage us with some very practical things to help us run this race, the Christian life, in such a way that not only are we going to finish, but we're going to finish well. And we're going to have a great time doing it. I don't know about you, but listen, I enjoy the Christian life. I enjoy walking with the Lord. I enjoy being around fellow believers in Christ. It is an adventure. And here Hebrews is going to tell us how we can do that in such a way that we enjoy, enjoy the task Are the things set before the race set before us? Look at the text just for a minute. In verse one, it says, Therefore, we have such a great cloud of witnesses. That's where the first encouragement is found. It says that we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, we know about clouds here in Oklahoma. In fact, this word for cloud is a cloud bank. We're not talking about a little old white cloud that's off in the horizon. We are talking about watching the Weather Channel when there is a line of weather coming across the state. It is a bank of clouds is the word here. And then it uses the word for witnesses where we get our word for witness or martyr or one that gives testimony. As a a minister and a chaplain and all that, I get asked quite a bit the question about whether or not people in heaven see us. If my grandma is watching over me when I'm living the Christian life, and I'll just be honest with you, I read the whole book, and and I cannot say definitively yes or no about that. Now, this passage is often quoted in when you're thinking about that topic, but uh, this idea that Uh, all of these Christians that have gone before us, or my grandma is looking down and somehow is, uh, is, is intervening in my life. I just want to caution you with that a little bit. Because if you take that far enough, all of a sudden you're praying to saints and to the Virgin Mary and venerating saints that have gone before you to intervene into your life. So I can't tell you that people in heaven don't get to see you. I don't know whether that's true or not. I've read the whole thing, can't really come to a conclusion. But what I am certain, what this passage teaches, is that we here today can look around, we can look back at those that have lived before us, who have been faithful to the Lord. We can read Scripture and see examples of people who have been faithful in the Lord. And they stand as a witness. They stand as a testimony. And we can look at their lives and we can gain encouragement through that. I think at the bare minimum, this is what this passage teaches. And I would say that because there's a chapter right in in front of chapter 12, and that's chapter 11. And chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, the author begins to list individuals who, walk, who were with God, and God made a difference in their life, and he does that so that it would be an encouragement to us, an example to us. Now, we don't have time to go through all of those, but I think it's worth some time to go through some of them this morning. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure about what you need to give to the Lord. Maybe you're in the habit of tipping God. Maybe you're in the habit of, you know, giving God your leftover time, energy, or or riches. I don't know. But the Bible talks about a, a young man by the name of Abel. And we know him as Cain and Abel. It's back there in the book of Genesis. And the Bible says that Abel who he gave his very best to God, and God received that. I don't know what you want to give to God one way or the other with your time, talents, or resources, but here is an example of somebody who gave their very best. Maybe you're walking through life and you're not sure, what is the will of God for my life? And you keep asking that question. There was a man in the Old Testament named Enoch, and the Bible says he walked with God. Listen, God is not hiding His will from you. One of the best ways to be in the center of God's will for your life is literally walk with God every day. You see, if you are walking with God, you will always be in the center of God's will for your life. Amen? Enoch walked with God. Maybe you're in a situation this morning where you're at work or school and 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 you think I'm the only one that is following Christ. Everybody else believes something else. Everybody else. Listen, Noah, Noah was a man who stood alone with God, and God blessed him and he was he was he was victorious in his life because of his trust with God. Maybe you're a father this morning and And your career is taking a different toe. Are you not sure what to do with your riches and your life and your family? Listen, the Bible talks about the person of Abraham. And God began to speak to Abraham and called him out. And Abraham was somebody who learned to trust God with his life, with his future, and with his family. He is a wonderful example of somebody that did that. Joseph Maybe Joseph is a good example for us of somebody who obeyed God, who said no to temptation. Maybe he was questioning, is my life making a difference? What is, where will my life end up? Joseph is a wonderful story of how God had orchestrated everything in Joseph's life and in his obedience and in his turning from temptation, God blessed him. Wonderful example of somebody who has run well. Daniel lived in a day, a terrible day, when it was difficult to be a Christian, when it was difficult to be a follower of God. And yet Daniel was a holy man, a man of prayer in an unholy world. I think about John the Baptist. You know, sometimes in church we can get to thinking about ourselves and... How we look and how we act. And is somebody giving me the credit. But I've been working here for 20 years. Nobody's ever said thank you. I never got a plaque. I think about John the Baptist. Jesus said, of all the people, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist who was born of a woman. He rates him right up here at the top. And yet, listen to John the Baptist. John, when he was praying, says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. You struggling with an ego? You struggling with something? Listen, what a beautiful example in John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're like those Jesus, when he comes to those apostles, and he says, who do do people say I am? You're You're a prophet. You're all these things. But he says, who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and he confesses, you are the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. Have you ever confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you need to be like Peter this morning and confess who Jesus Christ is to a lost and dying world. There's Stephen, when faced with persecution, when faced with death, in faith, he looks up and sees heaven open. And God uses him as to be the first martyr of the church. And yet we'll never forget who Stephen is. Maybe God's called you to be a missionary. And the next one that will go out Paul, I think of Paul as a content witness to the nations. Paul said, I have learned to be content in any circumstances. I preach Jesus and only Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. And he goes and preaches Jesus to the nations like none other before. Maybe God is calling you to missions today. Listen, I don't know what you are facing in your life today. But I do know this, there has been somebody who has been through the same thing and has done well. And that should be an encouragement to you. It's an encouragement to me. Because when I get to those places that I think, my goodness, I'm the only one that's ever been in these circumstances, that is not true. I have a cloud bank of witnesses. I, have, I am surrounded by people who have done it right. For the right reason in the right way. And that is an encouragement to me. We have a cloud bank of witnesses. Amen? This passage also says that those, it talks about who is in this race. It says, let us, let us run. Let us also lay aside. Let us. That's in the plural. That's not an individualistic thing. Uh, As I read this passage, this passage is addressed to Christians, so I have to assume and believe that only Christians are running this race. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've not even begun this race. Now, you may be in the race of life and you may feel like you're a hamster in a cage running on a wheel getting nowhere, But when you put your heart and life in Jesus Christ, a new path is marked out for you. And if you're here this morning and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, one of the first things and primary things you need to do in your life is get in the race. And give your heart to Jesus Christ. When I think about the world and how the world runs its race, it's individualistic. Every, every runner wants to be out there for themselves. I just want to be head and shoulders about everybody else. They're individualistic. When I think about how the, the world runs it, it's competitive. It's always about beating the other guy. Always comparing myself with the other guy. I just want to be first. It's competitive. It's self-centered. It's all about me. You know? I mean... Guys score touchdowns, and then the next thing they're doing, you know, is they're doing the poses, you know. It's all about me. That's the way we live today. That's how the world runs these races. And I want to be generous to the world. You know, sometimes I see those things slip into churches. We get to be an individualistic. We get to thinking only of ourselves. We're not thinking about anybody else. Sometimes we can even get competitive. Who's in charge here? What's the power? Who, who do I need to talk to? Get my way. Competitive. It's all about me. Boy, that didn't do nothing for me today. You'd think preacher Perry could do better than that, right? That's the way we do. That's the way we do. But we need to be careful about that. And The Bible says here in this passage, we run together this race. We run with each other. One of the best examples of this that I can put, I, I have in my memory, is an event that I watched in Special Olympics. All these little old kids were running down a, a, a foot race, and one of them falls. And it was the darnest thing I've ever seen. Every one of them stopped, turned around, walked back, pick this little child up, and walk them across the finish line. It was probably the best example I've ever seen in my life of what a New Testament church should look like. We are to run this race together. We are to encourage each other. We are to run together. We are to help each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another. Build each other up. How do we do that? We do that by praying for each other. We want to be praying and encouraging each other through prayer. Today in the close of our service, we're going to be praying for our search team. Lifting them up. They are running a hard race. We need to be praying for them. We need to be doing good deeds. Acts of kindness. Acts of service to each other. Thinking of each other more than ourselves is how the Bible talks about it. That's how we encourage each other. We need to learn to rejoice with each other. You know, sometimes, i got to admit, we're a little guilty. I'm a little guilty. God blesses somebody with, and, and I think, boy, I wish God would bless me with something like that. Instead of just saying, thank you, Lord, for how you're providing for my brother in Christ, I always see it as, like it's something else so we need to learn to rejoice with each other we need to learn to weep with each other you know life's tough and there are moments of loss there's moments of grief there's moments of frustration and we need to learn to come alongside of each other and and put our arms around each other and pick each other up and lay there with each other and encourage each other and just be knelt down beside each other sometimes in prayer and let them know they are not alone. We weep with each other. We need to be a positive example. Here at First Baptist Church, we have a, a very profound yet simple vision for our church. We want to love God. That's how we say it. We want to love God. We want God to be the center of everything we do. Listen, this morning's worship service is not about me. It's not about John. It's not about you. It's about God being venerated and lifted up and worshiped this morning. It's about expressing our love for God. And when we get God in the right place in our life, the natural expression of that is we will serve others. That's going to motivate us to service. And we're going to start looking around and thinking, you know what, I can help you with that. I can encourage you with that. I can run with you through that season if you need me to do that. And then we're not going to be content with just reaching needs. We're going to make disciples. We believe the very best thing that you can do for somebody is lead them to Jesus Christ and then walk with them until they are a mature Christian in the Lord. Amen? That's what we're about here at First Baptist Church. We run together. Now, there's a challenge in this passage. It tells us that we are to throw down that which hinders us in running the race. And it talks about two different things. It talks about a weight, and it talks about sin. The word weight here is plural. It means there's more than one sometimes. And when I think about that, uh, I've experienced that in my own life. There's, there's things that get heavy in life, and they weigh us down. Do you know, in the, 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 we're in the time of the Olympics right now, right? Right? Do you know there's no rules in the Olympics about what you can carry when you run a race in the Olympics? If you wanted to, you could put a backpack of bricks on your back and run with them. But that wouldn't be very effective, would it? No, those guys, they slimmed down. They wear even like tiny shoes, anything that would hinder them from running. And, and yet here we are sometimes running the Christian race and we just continue to put things in our backpacks, and weighing us down. Now, what kind of things do we put in that backpack? One of the things that I see often in my experience is an acceptance that was denied us in the past. We just feel like somebody didn't bless us when we thought we should have got the blessing. An acceptance. That can be a it can be a family of origin issue. Maybe it was a father who just didn't have him to say I love you. I don't know. Maybe it's a mother that turned her back and gave you up for adoption and every day you tell yourself, you know, I, I was rejected. I wasn't accepted. And that's defined you in your life. Maybe it was a spouse who had one day given you their, their promise but then turned their back on that promise. I don't know. It could be a child that you You gave your heart to, you loved and nourished, and then they they grew up and just turned their back on you. And every day, there's something about that that just affects you. And it weighs you down. And I'm not saying those things aren't real. I'm not saying those things aren't significant. I'm not saying that they don't hurt us. But the problem is, many times when there is an unmet acceptance in our life, we begin to see ourselves as victims in life. And pretty soon it consumes us and everything's out to get us and everything's against us. And and, and it, it begins to just just to ooze into every relationship and every area of our life. The writer of Hebrews says, throw it down. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's past expectations. Expectations that weren't met. Maybe it was an expectation that somebody put on you. Maybe it was an expectation you put on yourself. But somehow in, in your life, you just didn't measure up to what your life was supposed to be. And every day you just get up and you, and you see your life as it's kind of a negative way to live. It's kind of the glass is half, half empty all the time. You're living your life and it doesn't matter how good it gets. It doesn't matter what God does in your life. It doesn't matter how good God blesses your church. It's always half empty. It's just a negative way of looking at life. And so it begins to creep into our lives of uh, unmet expectations. And pretty soon it shapes our faith. It shapes our service. It shapes how we run this race The Hebrew writer says, throw it down. Sometimes it's past failure. We've tripped. We've done something. We've done something to somebody else. And it's a failure. And we feel like we've disqualified ourselves. I'm not even worried. Listen, God could never save me. God could never use me. God could never bless me. And what we begin to do is when God starts to do some things in our life, we sabotage it. We say, well, that could, that could never happen. I've, I, I, not to me. Life has always given me lemons and, and we'll sabotage the very blessings God's puts in our life. We'll test relationships. Going from one church to another church to another church, one relationship to another, to another. To, it, it just plays out in so many different ways. The writer of Hebrews says, throw it down. One day we'll be able to run the race, and Jesus will be there. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're looking for in this race. So there's these weights in life, but then there's this sin, and it's singular in this passage. So what is the sin that entangles us? It gets trapped around our feet. We're trying to run, and it's like our shoelaces get tied together. Well, it's the sin of unbelief. And unbelief, lack of faith in this passage is not taking God at His Word. It's not believing that God is big enough and bold enough and loving enough to do what He says He will do. And when you have faith, you believe God will do what He said He will do. And you have belief, you trust God will keep His Word. Life is different. Now let me ask you, when you get up in the morning is life just uh, an, another day? Is it just living life in a routine? Or isn't it an adventure? Are you just surviving? Or are you thriving is what I'm asking you. Because that's two different ways to live. And when I live by faith and not merely by sight, but put my trust in God, life is an adventure. So many times, I think we set our goals too, slow, too low, And we set our goal to be successful. We want to be successful as a church, right? We want to be successful in life, as a parent, as a husband, in our businesses. And and there's nothing wrong with being successful. Successful often, though, is, is is a posture of taking, of accumulating, of acquiring success. There's another word that I actually like better, and that's significance. What would be the difference in living a life that is successful and a life that is significant? I think one is taking, accumulating. One is going, giving, thinking of others. We all know those people, right, who live significant lives. They're never on Time Magazine. They're never on the front of the... These are people whose names go unmentioned in most circles. But we know them because they make a difference in life. They made a difference in your life. And we can live a life that is significant. Well, this this passage talks about that there's some things we've got to lay down if we're going to run really well in this race the last thing I want you to see out of this passage is that we have a coach we have somebody that we are to look at while we're running this race and it is the Lord Jesus Christ look at it in this passage it's in it's in chapter 12 verse 2 it says fix your eyes on Jesus what are you fixated on when you wake up in the morning what's the very first thing you do you read your Bible You what do you do you pray you turn on the news. You see if you got any email. Do You look at your text to see maybe, maybe there's somebody out there that needs my expertise. I need to solve their problems in life. I don't know what you do. But you know what I can do? I can get fixated on things. I am terrible about picking up my iPad in the evening and just start flipping through things and watching meaningless things for hours if I let myself. I know I'm the only one that does that. And before I know it, I've blown a whole evening. And I don't know that it's accomplished much in my life. Here the writer tells us that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's ran the race. He's ran it well. He has finished the race. He was obedient in the race. He didn't trip when he was running the race. He won the race. And now it says he sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Now again, I don't know if my grandma is up there interceding on me, but I know Jesus is interceding for me. The Bible talks about it. And he is calling me to the finish line. When we're running this race, we need to refuse. um, We need to... We need to not look at others in the race. It's easy to do. Uh, you know, you're running a race and pretty soon you're looking at the people around you. And, you know, And I think I can beat Tim in a foot race. I may not be the fastest runner on earth, but I think I can beat I John back there maybe. I doubt it. John probably could outrun me any day of the week. You know, that's what we do, isn't it? We're running this race, and we start competing. We start looking at each other. We start comparing ourselves and feeling pretty good about ourselves. But you know what? You will never, ever, ever win and run this race successfully looking at others. We do it by encouraging each other, loving each other, praying for each other, but not competing with each other. The other thing you can't do when you're running a race is that to get, in and get to looking at your feet. Boy, if you've ever watched these Olympic runners run, they throw their head back and their chest out and their legs are getting after it. The last thing on earth they would do is look down and say, Man, I'm wearing some pretty nice tennis shoes. (laughs) These are some snazzy Nikes right here, buddy. Now, what happens if you look at your feet? You'll fall. You'll fall every time. But that's what we do sometimes in this race. We get to looking at ourselves in the mirror. We get to looking at all this. And pretty soon, before we know it, we've tripped and we've fallen in the race. The other thing you can't do when you're running this race is look backwards. Jesus talked about that. He says, You know, anybody that gets in the kingdom of God and grabs a plow and starts looking back, it ain't going to work. Listen, I can testify to that. I bowed my grass yesterday trying to beat the rain. Yes, it did rain. Thank you, Jesus. And I was, mowing, I was mowing a strip, you know, and I know some of you are OCD when it comes to mowing grass and loves that line, you know, get chalk lines out, you know, you're, you're making straight lines. But uh, I got to looking around and I was looking down the street and, uh, at something and I turned around and made the turn and started coming back. Listen, I had a bow in my yard. <laughs> you wouldn't have believed it, you know. And that's what we do sometimes. We get to looking back. You know, our past is the past, and, and 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 we can learn from it. We can let it speak into our lives, we can tell ourselves something about it, but you know what you can't do? It's change the past. It's gone. So Jesus says, Don't look backwards, look to me. Fix your eyes on me, the author and finisher of this race. When I think about people who have run like this, I think of Jesus. He sets the example. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You want to know how to run this race? That's a good way to run this race. Run it like Jesus. Seeking the lost. Sharing Jesus Christ. You will never, ever regret that. There's been many in history that have done that this morning, I'll just illustrate with one that probably you've probably never heard of. They didn't write a lot of things about him, but his name was William Burden. William was born into the family of a, of a business family. In fact, his dad was a millionaire. And it was just assumed that he would move right into that business and take over for his dad and have a prominent place in society. But early in William's life, God touched William's life. Shortly after giving his heart to Jesus Christ, and he felt called and compelled to go be a missionary to China. Well, William prepared. He got ready to go to China. He got his things together. He studied a little bit before he went, got all prepared. And then he got on a boat and he started on his way to China. And while he was traveling to China, he got as far as Egypt and he got sick. And William died in Egypt in a boat, in a cabin on a boat. He never made it to China. When they went into his cabin to take his body off of the boat, there was a little note that was under his body. It had six words on it. These are the words. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. No reserve. keeping nothing back. Let me just ask you this morning, you're running this race for Christ. are things you're holding back in? yeah, I 'll give God this area of my life, but I can't give him this area of my life. I could trust God this far, but I can't trust him that far. No reserve. Throw it all out there. Trust the Lord with it. Let Him take you somewhere you have never been before. No retreat. No going back. You know, when missionaries used to go to the mission field, we used to talk about that we burn our ships. The idea is that you would go in a ship, you get there, you take your stuff out, and then you torch the ship because you're not going back. No retreat. I love the good old days. Man, I can look at this sanctuary, the glass, the building, the pews, you. Some of you have been here. And this, this church has amazing days in its past. And, and there's a temptation in there to want to go back. I, I served as a missionary for 20, 20, over 20 years with Brenda over the mission field. And they were glorious, wonderful years. And there'd be a piece of me that says, oh, if I could just go back to that, I'd be happy. If I could just go back to that, life would be good. And and there's some truth in that. But what if, what if we lived life with no regret, no going back? What if we got more excited about going somewhere we've never been before with God? I don't want to be a missionary again. I want to go somewhere I have never been with God before. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what our church is going to look like a year from now, but I know God has great things in store for us. Amen. No regrets. Doing the right thing the first time. I'm always telling people this. Life is not a dress rehearsal. It's for living. Before you know it, you're going to look back and your life is just going to fly by just like that. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's for living. We need to live with no regret, doing the right thing the first time. Paul did that in Philippians 3.12. He says, But one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ is the source and perfecter of the Christian faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? If you're here this morning and you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come and give your heart to Jesus Christ and get in the race. You're just spinning your wheels until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here this morning as a Christian and you're running the race, and you've been distracted, you've been weighed down, whatever it is, we want to invite you to come and just throw it down. It's that simple. Just throw it down and then don't pick it up. That's all you got to do. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. What he did on the cross is sufficient for whatever you're dealing with. And run this race, picking your head up and looking to the author and finisher, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pause for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for this time when we can reflect. Thank you for this time that we can look to you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us right now in this time of invitation. We come, Lord, just as we are. We come with open hearts, open hands, open minds. And Father, we lay it down before you. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.